time, and our God is good. He is so good. If you will, you can turn in your Bibles with me to the book of 1 Peter, chapter number 3. Uh, we're going to look at a few verses, and, and, and really, we're going we're gonna to kind of pick up uh, a, a little bit right where we left off last week, and actually kind of come in and, and, and support of what we said last week, and maybe make some clarification. Um, uh, but before we do that, let's have another word of prayer, and just ask the Lord to lead, guide, and direct us during this time. Uh, God, we love you. We pray that, uh, Lord, it, it sounded robust in here, and Lord, my 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 trust is that it sounded robust because not because we had big instruments playing but because we were playing from our hearts we were singing from our hearts and our worship was true and it was from our from 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 the depths of us not on a superficial level Lord, we weren't just giving you lip service today if any of us were giving you lip service lord let your spirit reveal that to us and correct us lord lord uh, truly it would be better if sat there and didn't sing than if we just sang giving you lip service. Lord, but I do trust that you've received this worship that's been pleasing to you. And Lord, I thank you for uh, just how you minister to us through every aspect of, of our day so far, through our fellowship, through testimonies, uh, uh, the, the song that we heard from um, the Lasetas, Lord, from uh, the, the songs that we we're able to sing today, Lord. God, thank you for ministering. And Lord, we come to you right now, and when we say our hands are still open, Lord, we, we, we need to be taught your word, and we need to, we, we, we need to uh, receive your word, Lord, just in, in, in the context that it is, but also, Lord, I, I, we need to know how to apply it to our lives today. And so that's what we want to do. We want to be able to take your word, teach it, and apply it to our lives today. And so, Lord, we pray and we ask that you would help us, Lord. Help me, Lord, as I, as I lead, as I teach, and as I preach this morning. Uh, God, minister to us, equip us, correct us, encourage us, strengthen us, Lord. We pray and we ask that everything that we do today, Lord, it would bring you honor and glory, and Lord, it would, it would make us more fit disciples of your son, Jesus, and it would prepare us so that we could make disciples of your son, Jesus. I pray these things in the mighty resurrected name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, y'all ever come to a passage of scripture, like you're reading along and you're like, hey, I, I, I'm kind of clicking. I know what's going on here or I've heard these things before. And then you come to a passage of scripture and you're like, what did I just read? Anybody, anybody ever have those moments, right? Uh, yeah, I've had those moments, you know, and, 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 and I want to say this at the front end. The passage of scripture that we're going to come to today, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22, is one of those passages that people have gone, whoa, whoa, whoa what did I just read? What, what's, what's being said here? And, um, and let me just tell you this. If you come to those passages... You know, I'm not just your preacher on Sunday mornings. I'm your pastor throughout the week as well. And so if you come to those passages and you go, hey, preacher, like you can shoot me a text, an email, call, let's get coffee, and we can sit down, we can talk about it. Maybe there's some other trusted teacher that you would, that you would go to. Um, uh, what I want you to know is you're not alone. I think a lot of times people think, man, I got to figure this out for myself. Like, like, like this, this ancient text that's been around for thousands of years, God was like, hey, you know what? 
it's up to you to figure it out. No, no, no. We've been given a community of people that we can sit down together with. We can be discipled with one another and we can walk yes, together sir. and we can say, hey, I don't understand this text. Can we, can we sit down and talk about it? So I want to encourage you because I think a lot of people have this pressure like, well, I'm not understanding it. And so I'm the doofus or, and then that, and then that makes you recoil from reading the text, this beautiful right. gift that God has given us. So, so th th that's just a, kind of an aside, but on the journey uh, uh, that we're going on today. And so here's what I want to do this morning. I want to... I'm going, to, I'm going to give you an understanding of this text. I'm going to tell you there's, there's three primary ways that this text has been interpreted. I'm going to share with you the way that I, I read the text and I understand it and I interpret it, right? And because I, as, as I see that it fits the context of 1 Peter and the immediate context of, of 1 Peter. And, 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 and then we're going to, from that, we'll, we'll, have some, we'll have some application, we'll have some teaching and uh, things that we apply to our lives today. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, and here's where I'll start out with. We're, we're reading through 1 Peter and we, we, we put it under this context of chosen exiles, right? And when we say chosen, we don't say chosen instead of others. We say chosen for the sake of others, right? For the sake of this world have we been chosen. We've been blessed to be a blessing. We've been given the name that is above every name we carry it as a banner so that we can take it to people and let them know the name so that they can know the character of God and, and we should be the ones who are bearing the character of God right not just a testimony on our lips but lived out through our lives and, and we're exiles right uh, they they were socially exiles historically they were in a new context but they were also spiritual exiles and 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 we we are spiritual exiles Christians have always been that in whatever context that they found themselves in but we know for for, for American Christians we lived under uh, I, I would say a, a hopeful wistful but maybe delusional state of, uh, hey, America is a, is, a, is a Christian nation. And there was a lot of things that America did that was good. But there was a lot of atrocities that we kind of had to overlook throughout that process, too. And we we're like, well, you know, God's blessed us. And it was like, oh. You know, you know, we can't we can't take that whenever we're you know we're getting rich off the back of slaves. Like that's not what God intended for us. You know those kinds of things. And so, so we look at it and we but 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 we felt at home for a long time in America. And a lot of people are, are now coming to this place and they're going, I'm not at home anymore for various reasons. They, they see things that are going on in our culture, in our context, and they're going, I, I, I once felt at home and now I feel like I'm in exile. And, and here Peter is talking to people who, 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 who were exiles. They, they, they were finding themselves socially and spiritually like, uh, like we're, we're, we're a people and we're in this land, but we're not part of this land. And, uh, and, and we, uh, a lot of people are feeling that way now. And so what we have is this beautiful text to say, okay, how, how, do, you, how, do, you, how do you comport yourself? How do, you, how do you live in this place whenever you can't capitulate to culture? When the culture isn't uh, uh, friendly or kind to, uh, to, to you. And, and, and really, we should be really aware of this. I think we talk about being persecuted in America way more than we are actually persecuted in America. I mean, that is, that, 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 that's, that's fear-mongering that happens. Oh, where, where are they going next? And it's like, we got to take a step back because I can tell you right now, there are Christians today in countries who are losing their lives. They are losing their lives. Yeah. They're not just having somebody go, I don't like your legislation. They're losing their lives. Right. And so we have to kind of keep this in check before we lose our mind and we lose our testimonies. Hey, whatever hostility is against us, and there's always been an enemy against the church since day one, right? Yeah. Whatever hostility we're facing, we also have to understand it's relative in this world. 
It's a relative hostility to what others are facing. Think about this. Uh, The Coptic Christians in Egypt, several years ago, this is amazing, several years ago, they were, uh, people were going into churches and they were destroying churches. They were beheading them. And there didn't have to be an official, uh, uh, there there was no official uh, uh, guidance given from like the head of the church, but every last one of those Christians in those churches did not respond through vengeance or violence. They suffered it patiently. You and I, this is what we have to get to. Because you and I, we've got, well, it's my right to be a Christian and and you can't tell me. And instead of us, instead of us suffering even in the very smallest ways, we have become hostile and cruel and violent. Maybe not with our fists, but with our words. That's how, we've, that's how I have seen, maybe not us here always, but that's how I see Christians at large in America responding to the hostility against us. And then I look at Jesus and I go, that's not what Jesus looks like. Jesus isn't sitting there bad-mouthing and bashing people behind their backs. I told y'all this when we talked about it. If he has to correct somebody, he talks to them to their face. He doesn't get on social media. There they are. Go go at it again. They, 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 they. So Peter is talking to these chosen exiles and I'm getting into preaching before I'm getting to my teaching. So here, let me get back to my teaching. He's talking to these chosen exiles, and he's telling them, hey, here's how you're going to live in this world. And, and he says, you need to live honorably. You need to be honorable citizens. And, and one way that you live honorably is you give honor to people even whenever they don't deserve it. Yes, sir. You don't pick and choose who gets your honor, who gets your love, who gets your dignity, your respect. You give it to people. And in fact, if, if you go, you, you should take it as a check from the Holy Spirit when you go, I don't want to give it to that person. They don't deserve it. That should be a moment where you go, oh, God, that's, that's something that needs to be cleaned up. You know, I, I, we grew up, and I don't cuss, dance, drink, or chew, and I don't run with those who do. We grew up thinking about such superficial things, but, 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 but whenever it came to despising people for being different than us, it was like, well, that's right, because they're, they're messing up things. And we gave sanction to that instead of, instead of saying, hey, that's sh- what needs to be cleansed out of my heart. That needs to be washed. That needs to be renewed. That needs, the blood of Jesus needs to be poured on my heart because it is hard and it needs to be softened up. And it, it, it's, it's not, it, it's, it's a fallow ground. It needs, to be, it needs to be just torn up so that love and, and goodness and, and justice and equity and honor and dignity can be given to people that I don't think deserve it. So he says, I want you to live honorably. And he applies it in different contexts. He says, as citizens, he says, slaves with their masters or servants with their masters. He says, wives and husbands. And we've, we've talked about all these things. And then he comes down and he says, hey, listen, if you're doing good, if you're doing good, and we looked at this last week, if you're doing good, chances are likely that you will not be, chances are likely that you will not be uh, no, nobody's going to harm you for doing good. Like it's, it's a high probability that if you're living an honorable life, that people will, will, will just go, okay, well, I don't have anything to say against that. <laughs> but he says, if you do suffer unjustly, if you do have to endure unjust suffering, you should consider it a blessed position. And we talked about this last week. Why would you consider it a blessed position? 
Well, for one, Jesus tells us, hey, blessed are they. And he says, hey, look, the prophets were, it shows you you're on the right trajectory. Hey, if, if you're suffering for doing something good, then you're on the right trajectory. You're on the right path. You, you could consider it a blessing. That way, he, he goes on further and he says, hey, listen, not only, um, not only should you consider it a blessing because you're on the right track, but think about Peter himself. He, he shows us that he felt it was an honor. It, it showed him worthy to suffer for the name. We saw that in Acts chapter number four. They left and they said, oh man, oh, they celebrated. We, we're worthy to suffer for the one who suffered for us? Oh, wow. But then there's another reason, and he talks about this. He says, he says actually, if you endure uh, unjust suffering, if you endure unjust suffering, and, 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 and I'm going to add a caveat here, and you endure it like Jesus, because we've already talked about this earlier in First Peter. We're not called just to suffer. We're called to suffer in a certain way, right? We're called to suffer like Jesus. And Jesus, when he was reviled, he did not revile. Right? Whenever, whenever they scorned him, he did not scorn them. Whenever they condemned him, he did not uh, you know, bring condemnation upon them. Whenever they beat him, he didn't call 10,000 angels and, and, and storm them. No, what Jesus did was he suffered it patiently. He suffered it humbly. He suffered it in love. So we're called to a certain way of suffering. And here's what Peter is saying. He says, if you do it, if you suffer unjustly, you will be able to put them to shame who speak evil against you. And whenever we talk about putting them to shame, we're not talking about, oh, sucker, you got it. No, we're not talking about that. What we are talking about when you say put somebody to shame, you are talking about uh, what Paul talks about as a, as, a, as a godly shame that leads to repentance, right? You can put them to shame. Another way that you can say this is, is when, you, when you suffer, endure unjust suffering like Jesus Peter would be saying, you can be assured that God will vindicate you. God will vindicate you. And the passage that we're about to get into, that is what Peter is speaking about, is that God vindicated his son, Jesus. He vindicated his son, Jesus. And that gives us a theological hope that we who follow Christ, even if we endure unjust suffering, we have this theological hope that on the day of judgment, God, through his son Jesus, will vindicate us. He will give the right judgment to us on that day. Amen. So it's a theological hope, but it's also a practical hope too. And this is what I want us to see. is like when we do this, uh, there, there will be this practice. Like if we suffer like Jesus in this life, before judgment's ever set, there's this Hope and this opportunity that our goodness towards somebody's vileness will actually vindicate us and bring vindication as it brings shame upon them. Not so that they get condemned, but so that they get reproved. Mm. Not so that they are uh, cast away to the outer limits of hell, so, so that they're rescued, so that they're saved by the grace, so that they are washed by the blood, just like you and I have been saved by the grace and washed by the blood. So that is what Peter is talking about. He's talking about vindication as we get to this real fun text. Are y'all ready to get to the real fun text? Sure. First Peter chapter number three. We're going to begin in verse number 18. And if you don't have a Bible, it's up on the screen. And I'm going to find my spot. Okay, here he goes. He says, Christ also has suffered for our sins. The just one, he suffered unjustly for us unjust ones right 
He's the just one. That, that just means he, he never did anything wrong. He was fully justified in everything that he did. But you and I, we know this, like we're not fully justified in everything that we do, right? And this is the good news, that the just one would suffer unjustly for the unjust ones. This is the good news. This, is, this reveals the character of God. Does God want to condemn us? Does God want to cast us out into hell? Or does God want to rescue us? Does God want to renew us? Is God against us? Does he look at us and, oh, with gritted teeth? Or does God look at us with compassionate eyes? And, oh, my goodness. At the very, at the very least, he was like, oh, you're so foolish. You're so foolish. You don't even see the error of your ways. And even when you're rebellious, he's like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> your rebel heart is not getting you anywhere. It's so futile that you would act in your rebellion. God loves us, and that's why Christ would suffer for our sins, the just one for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. What was the purpose of him doing this? So that he might bring us to God, so that he might say, hey, God's been here the whole time. I know you, you're like Adam. You wanted to go hide in the garden, but, or, but God's going, where are you at? Where are you at? I'm not trying to send you out away from me. I'm trying to find you, so my son's going to bring you to me, right? God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Not the other way around, right? We weren't sitting there going like, hey, we're going to put Christ up there. So God, God, you need to be reconciled to, to us. No, no, we had to be reconciled to him. Right. And we had to do that because you and I, because of our, our knowledge of our failures, and we fall short all the time. I was thinking about this. I, I preached a, a funeral on, on Friday. And, and, and as I was like, kind of working through like the gospel call through this, you know, I, 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 I had a conversation with somebody this last week. And, and, and very painfully, this their spouse had lied to them. Their spouse had lied to them and, and they found it. You know, husbands, sometimes we try to hide things from our wives, don't we? They found it. And she said, I just kept giving him the benefit of the doubt even after I found it. I'm such a fool. And I said, why are you a fool for being deceived? You're not the fool. You didn't do the wrong. But even when we are deceived, don't we feel shame, embarrassment from it? See, you and I, we know that we're, we, we, I, I don't need to convince you that you've fallen short of the glory of God. You are, you're pretty aware of all your shortcomings. And so the good news is, and, and the glorious news is this, is that Jesus came to bring us to God to say, hey, God never wanted you to go hide from him. God wanted you to always be in his presence. God, God knows that if you go hide from him, actually what happens when you hide from God and you try to hide from your, your sin, you're not honest with your sin, you do worse. It's better if you just come to God and you go, God, I messed up. Or I was deceived. You let, God's, you let God speak the good word to you. You're not a fool for being deceived. They were wrong. They were wrong. They did you wrong. Come here. Let God go, come here. I love you. Look at me. Look at me. I love you. Don't you feel like a fool because somebody did you wrong? Jesus reveals to us that God never wanted to cast us away. What he really reveals, I think, more than anything is that you and I, God doesn't have to cast us away. You and I just run from him. We hide from him. And Jesus said, listen, I'm going to lay down my life for you so that you can see. 
you can see, you can come back to God. Hey, look, there's a free path here. There's a free path here. All right. There I go preaching again, y'all. I'm sorry. All right. That he might bring us to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but he was quickened by the Spirit. Okay? When it says he was quickened by the Spirit, this is not talking about between Friday and Sunday. This is talking about Sunday morning. He was put to death, and then on the third day, up from the grave he arose. Do I get to sing it again this week? No. He was quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was of preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. This, this being saved by water is, is, is a type or a figure like baptism. And baptism does also now save us. Now, baptism doesn't actually put away the filth of the flesh, but it's actually just an answer of a good conscience toward God. And, 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 and what we really have is, is, is baptism is this picture of the resurrection of Jesus. And so what you do with this figure of going down into the water and coming out is I'm dying to my old self. I'm being raised to new life. He says, but the, uh, um, uh, by the resurrection of Jesus, who is gone into heaven and is at the right hand of the God, at right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. I don't have to teach anything. Y'all got that, right? Y'all were like, okay, he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Y'all got that? Y'all understand that? Everybody good? All right, amen. Lord, um, no. okay, what is he trying to say here? Well, let's see what happens here, right? Okay, let's see what happens here. He was put to death in the flesh. He was raised by the Spirit on the third day. By the Spirit, he went and preached to the uh, spirits that were in prison. And then he talks about, you know, these, these ancient, uh, you know, angels or spirits, the spiritual realm that even since the days of Noah have been disobedient. And then he says, um, and he's now at the right hand of the Father. There are three primary ways that this has been read. It has been read like this, that there was some kind of descent into hell. That Jesus, between Friday and Sunday, he descended into hell and he preached the good news. And that's what we're talking about when we say preach there. They preached the good news to those, to, those, to those who didn't have an opportunity to repent in the days of Noah. And so then that leads people to say, okay, maybe there's a second chance and, and all this other kind of theological stuff comes up. Uh, so that's point one uh, of, of, of an interpretation. Uh, point two of an interpretation, and these are the primary interpretations, is that this is talking about the preexistent Christ, right? Christ has been since he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end, right? Yes. And so they, they have said, hey, when Christ was preexistent, he was, he, was, he was even alive in the spirit back then. Proclaiming the good news to all those, to all those angelic beings and all the the spiritual world about who he was, but but you know, and 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 and, and now it's been revealed. And then there's uh, interpretive uh, interpretation number three, and that is this: that this is Peter's way of saying God, through the resurrection, has vindicated His Son, and this was announced to the spirits who've been disobedient all the way since, since whenever the fall happened, you know, with, uh, with when, when, when Satan, uh, when Lucifer fell from heaven, you know, that, when that fall happened. And this is the interpretation that I would say fits the best with the context. That through the resurrection of Jesus, 
He's been vindicated not just to us, but all the spiritual world knows who is at the right hand of the Father. Jesus has been raised and he has been vindicated. Does that make sense? Are y'all tracking? Yes, right? So he, this, he's saying, hey, if you suffer unjustly like Christ suffered unjustly, and the way that Jesus did it, there's this theological hope that one day you will be vindicated. This is a good word for anybody who has ever suffered unjustly. And guess what? You and I all have suffered unjustly. You know, I think about like, uh, you know, Israel, we have that whole thing going on with Israel right now. And we, and we can always think about like the Holocaust. And we can think about the gulags. We can think about people who have suffered unjustly throughout, throughout humanity. How do you avenge that? How do you make that right? You can't. You can only vindicate it. God can only come in and God can only pronounce a, a just, a new judgment. In fact, Revelation chapter number six, I don't have it up on the screen, but Revelation chapter number six says that all those who are martyred in the name of the Lord, they're around the throne of God right now. And they are saying, how long until you vindicate us, O Lord? There's Revelation chapter number six. Um, and it's, uh, it's beginning in verse 9. And he says, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge? And in the King James Version, it says avenge, but that's not the word. It's, uh, the, the word is vindicate, to render a right judgment. It's not to get back at somebody, it's to render the right judgment over somebody. It says, how long uh, dost thou not judge and vindicate our blood on them that dwell on earth? Mm. And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brothers that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. Hey, in heaven right now, those who were martyred aren't singing, dancing, having a good time. Those who are martyred, it says, get this image of them. They are saying, Lord, we're waiting for a just judgment. You gave it to your son, Jesus. Why am I waiting for a just judgment? Because I deserve it? No, because you gave it to your son, Jesus. And just as you gave it to your son, Jesus, I have a theological hope that you will give me a just judgment as well. But here's, here's the thing. It's hopeful and it's cautionary. Hopeful if you suffer unjustly in the way that Jesus suffered unjustly. You can be, bet your bottom dollar that the Lord on the day of judgment will vindicate you. He will render the right judgment where they called you evil. He will put them to shame by saying they are not evil, just like he did with Jesus. They said he's a blasphemer. He's a liar. He's a, he's a violent revolutionary. And Jesus said, and God said on the third day when Jesus rose from death, he says, that is not right. Those are wrong judgments. This is my son, my beloved son, my, my, the one in whom I am well pleased and and he has all authority in heaven and earth. Come sit down, down by my right hand, son. Come take your place of honor. Where they dishonored you, you take your place of honor. Grab hold of this theological hope. See, if you and I have to suffer unjustly, this is what we have a theological hope in. Some things we have choices and we can, we, we can get out of situations. Sometimes, what if, what if today they came in and they started shuttering our churches and we had to take a stand? What would you put your hope in? Hey, one day, when judgment is set, I will be vindicated. They will be made to see the error of their ways. 
and I will be proved as the one who followed the liberating King Jesus. But then there's also a practical hope to this. Now, we've talked about this before, but I, I think it always bears that we, we consider it. When we talk about enduring unjust suffering in the way of Jesus, what we have to be mindful of is how did Jesus endure suffering? He was patient. He was compassionate towards those who were hostile towards him. He had a heart of mercy towards those who were vile towards him. Jesus didn't suffer like, and we talked about this, he didn't play the victim whenever he suffered. Jesus didn't go around and tell, well, look what they're doing to me. Can you believe this? Why am I having to put up with this? Now, he might have talked to his father about that, and I will encourage all this. You and I don't automatically come to this. It's going to take some discipline for us to, to let this theological hope become a practical hope. And one thing that we can do is when we go to God, we can lament and complain to our Father who is in heaven. And if you don't believe that, then go read the Psalms. There's more Psalms where lament is given and complaint is given so that God, through his spirit, can minister to the soul. There's more songs where lament and complaint is given than there are where praise is given. And actually, those psalms of lament always end in praise because God does minister to us when we go to him. You know what I can't do whenever you come to me and you tell me about so-and-so and how wrong they're doing you? You know what I can't do? I can't minister to your soul. In fact, if I try to say, well, you shouldn't be sounding like that, you'll, that doesn't help you. That hurts you. You, well, I'm not telling them anymore. All I wanted to do was vent, man. Well, let's just also talk about this. Sometimes I think we have to correct people whenever, like, it was, you know, really sometimes it's just in that venting that the spirit works and he goes, hey, I, they don't need your correction right now. They might just need to, you to be silent like Job's friends were until they started talking, right? And the whole thing went south. But... What I know is this, is that we can go to God and God can minister to my soul. I've experienced it so many times. I've experienced it in times where I'm, I'm frustrated and I'm hurt. I've experienced it in times whenever I'm mad. I'm, oh, I'm angry. I could spit nails. I've just been letting out, God, this is how I feel. This is what they're doing. They're so wrong. And he's just, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you, son. And then as I'm going, the spirit starts going, yeah, is that really what they're doing? Do you, if it is or if it's not, is this how you're supposed to be responding? Do you really want to walk away from this friendship? Do you really want to cast them out? Did Jesus do that? Okay, God. So I do want to make that point. You can lament and you can complain and you can go to God. And that is how you will get the heart that reminds you, hey, guess what? Even if you look like you're a fool right now, God will vindicate you. Are you going to trust yourself to him who judges righteously? But in this practical hope, this is what I have in mind. When you and I respond to hostility, vileness, cruelty, when we respond patiently, with hearts of compassion, when we respond mercifully, we give space for the Holy Spirit of God to work. Amen. To work. And those who are treating you poorly, 
will have their eyes open and go, man, I am being such a jerk to this person, and they continue. They continue to be patient and kind towards me. That doesn't make sense. It will vindicate you doing right, enduring unjust suffering rightly, like Christ. Through that, the Spirit has a way of vindicating you today or in time before we're vindicated on that day of judgment. And you and I have to have a vision of this. Because if we don't have a vision, the other vision is this. If we don't have a vision of this, then we'll go, well, I'm just going to look like a fool. Or I'm just going to look like I'm, I'm a tool or, or, or I'm, just, I'm just a doormat. You know what? Jesus looked like a doormat to a lot of people. You know, I, I, I bet the people who are plucking out his beard, in fact, we have testimony of this. The people who are plucking out his beard, they said, I thought he was some Messiah. <laughs> some Messiah he is. Oh, he can save others. He can't even save himself. What a pathetic, puny mess. That's what they're thinking. What a fool going around and proclaiming this stuff. Let's put this into some practical terms. I told you, you probably, we, we, we really aren't suffering right now in America. We're, we're, we're scared of it. We're, we're worried about it. And I, think, and I think this is really why it's so good to be prepared for this. If we start acting out of fear, guess what we're going to do? We're probably not going to be prepared to be patient and compassionate and merciful right. in the face of hostility. If we act out of fear, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to fight or I'm going to flee or I'm going to freeze. So it's good for us to prepare our hearts for this because what we should be preparing our hearts for is, hey, I've got to get filled up with love here and hope here. I've got to get a vision not of getting back at those who get. No, I got to get a vision of if I act in patience towards their hostility, that gives room for the spirit to come in and move. I got to get a vision for that. I got to get a vision for that in my house every day with my sons because they try my patience. And although we love each other, they are often very hostile against me. I have to get this vision there. I have to get it with my wife. I have to get it with my brothers and sisters here. You know what? Sometimes you say dumb things to each other. Sometimes you mean them. Sometimes you're just in, in, a, in a spirit of, of, of frustration, malice, and contempt. You, you say something mean to each other. Guess what? If my spirit is... Uh, I'm not going to be made a fool of. I'm not going to give space for this character of Christ, for the spirit of Christ. So we don't even have to suffer from the governing authorities. You and I, we can just, somebody can be rude to us. And if we don't have this vision in our, in our hearts and our minds that I don't have to vindicate myself. You know, so many of us walk around with such a defensive attitude because we think we have to prove ourselves. We have to prove ourselves. That's what America says, American culture. You better prove yourself. You better prove that you're worthy. How are you going to prove that you're worthy? Well, I'm going to prove that I'm worthy because uh, look at my job and look at my car and look at my clothes and look at the gadgets I have. Oh, you're worthy. Or look how many followers I have or how many likes I have. 
Uh, look how informed I am and, and how, I can, uh, how I can rip apart their political uh, ideology. Look at me. Oh, you're worthy. Guess what? You know that you and I have a worth better than anything that we could uh, achieve here and it was a worth that none of you and I could achieve ourselves it's a worth that's been given to us whenever God said you are mine Amen. when Jesus said I lay down my life for you when the spirit said I'm going to come and fill your life so my brothers and my sisters we can have this theological hope that we will be vindicated and when we have the theological hope that we will be vindicated, we can trust that there's a practical hope of vindication. But also what this does is this frees us from having to prove ourselves. Hey, you don't have to prove yourself in ministry. I have to tell myself that a lot. You know what? If Friendswood Baptist Church were to die on the vine tomorrow, God, it, it, I'm not going to stand before God and him go, man, why couldn't you rescue it? That's a hard thing for me to comprehend. And take in, because you know what I want to say is, God, I failed. Such a failure. Now, he might say, hey, there's some things, some missteps that you took. Let's learn from it. Come on, let's go. Let's learn from it. Let's apply it to your life. Mm. Parents have to know this. You're not, like, you feel judged by how your kids behave. But guess what? You can't control your kids. You can teach them. You can lead them. You can love them. And if anybody judges you wrongly because of your kids, let God be the one who vindicates you. Amen. And trust yourself to the just judgment. Hey, husbands, wives, you, you, you can't control one another. And if your wife is, is doing something that you as a husband are going, oh, I wish he wasn't doing that. And somebody judges you and goes, what kind of husband is he? If you know that you're doing well as a husband, you can go, and I... Jesus is my judge. Jesus is my judge. I don't have to act defensively towards you. And whenever we can do that, then that actually frees us to be patient and compassionate and merciful. That's all I'm going to say today because I could keep going. And I think y'all been enduring well. Right? So here's what I need us to do. I need us just to hear the basics of this. Peter says, uh, he gives them a hope of, uh, of suffering and enduring unjust suffering. And the hope is this, God will vindicate you. And when we take that hope, we can know that's a theological hope, that we believe that when Jesus returns, he's going to execute judgment and he's going to render the right verdict. He's going to render the right verdict, the just verdict. That gives us a practical hope that you and I, when we endure suffering like Jesus, we, patient, merciful, compassionate, we have the, we, we, we open up freedom for the Holy Spirit to work and to vindicate us in this moment. Amen. And when we talk about vindicating us, I, I do need to say this, and that means rescuing people from their vileness, from their cruelty, from their harshness, Right? It's not just about me being vindicated. It's about them being rescued and restored to God through the Spirit and through the Son. And, and, and then I'll say this. What this leads us to understand is that you and I, you and I have to capture this vision of I don't have to prove myself. I don't have to, I don't have to justify myself. I've been justified in Christ. 
and I entrust myself to the just judge. And so I'm not going to live in fear of your judgment. I'm not going to live in fear of the world's judgment. I'm not going to live in the fear of my own self-judgment. I'm going to go to God and say, God, what's the right verdict? Render the right verdict, God. And he will. Will y'all bow your heads and close your eyes? I'm just going to invite you to go to God, talk to God about what he's talking to you about. Have you ever been justified by Christ? Have you accepted his, his right verdict on your life? And you know what his right verdict on your life is? You are loved. And forgiveness is on offer. And the spirit is a gift that he wants to give you. And eternal life, full and abundant life now, and eternal life everlasting is what he wants to uh, 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 gift upon you, bestow upon you. An inheritance kept in heaven, uh, reserved by the power of God. He wants you to receive this verdict that you are loved by God. Who wants to rescue you, restore you. Who wants you to know that he So I was asking you, have you ever accepted that judgment from God? Have you, have you accepted that God loves you? And that he's done all the work. So that you can know that you can know that you can know that your sin can be washed away. That you could be renewed. That you could be cleansed. Another way that we would say this, have you been saved? That's a classic way. And so with your heads bowed and eyes closed, I don't often do this, but I am going to ask today. I'm going to say, is there anybody here today who says, you know what? I've never actually received the good verdict from my God that says he loves me. And wants to rescue me. And today you would say, I want to trust that God loves me and wants to rescue me. I want to place my faith in Jesus. Is there anybody like that today? All right, then by your testimony, you have accepted that. Or you are still well, wrestling through this. And so here's what I'm going to invite you to do right now. I'm going to invite you just to go to the Lord and talk to God about what God's talking to you about this morning. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to give you a time to pray. And then I'll, I'll close this in prayer. Lord, I love you.